Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Tomza from La Trobe University. Today, I'm delighted to welcome one of Indonesia's up-and-coming young politicians to the program. Dr. Bima Arya is a deputy chairman of the National Mandate Party, PAN, and the mayor of Bogor in West Java. Prior to his career as a politician, he was a lecturer of political science at Parayangan and Paramadina University and a well-known political commentator. I caught up with Bima during his recent visit to Melbourne, where he had some engagements at the University of Melbourne, and we talked about the prospects for young local executive leaders to change entrenched patterns of doing politics in Indonesia. I also asked him about his views on the upcoming parliamentary and presidential elections in 2019 and the general outlook for Indonesian democracy. Bima, it's great to see you back in Australia. Good yeah. to see you again, Dave. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, why don't we start with a quick look back. It's been just over a couple of months ago that Indonesia marked 20 years of reformasi. So I would like to start by asking you, do you still remember where you were in May 1998? Yes, uh, in 1998, I was actually in Melbourne. Oh, you were in Melbourne? Yes, at that time, <laughs> I remember I um, gathered with other Indonesian students at the step of parliament to support our college students in Indonesia and Jakarta. I invite uh, Indonesian student activists here in Melbourne to contribute something to support our student colleagues in Jakarta. Mm. When was the first time that you went back afterwards? I went to Indonesia a few months afterwards. I remember at a time we had a lot of expectations about the future of Indonesian politics. But some of us were disappointed uh, because, you know, it's half reform and half status quo. So it's like a mixed feeling among us at the time. Mm. I guess quite a few people would probably think it's still mixed feelings 20 years after. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yes. <laughs> but we may come back to that uh, shortly. Mm. Let's uh, stick with that time briefly in 1998 because that's more or less also when your political career started. Back then, a lot of new parties were formed, and you were among those who did establish one of those new parties, the National Mandate Party. So as a founding member of PAN, you have remained loyal to that party ever since. And that's not necessarily the norm in Indonesia. Party switching is quite common. Have you ever considered leaving PAN, in particular when election results were not so great in 2004 and 2009? Well, it may sound too emotional, but for me, choosing political party is like choosing religions. So you have to stick <laughs> till, <laughs> till that do us part. <laughs> so uh, it's not about the people. It's about ideology. It's about the political platform. So whoever leading the party... It's not the major issue. The major issue is our convictions. So PAN is the ideal party in my opinion because it's, you know, it should be a pluralist party. It should be, you know, intellectual party. Yes, uh, I have to admit that there are times when I feel, you know, disappointed with the party when I uh, don't share the same views with the leaders of the party. But I would never leave the party. Well, on your relationship with parties, I couldn't help but looking up your old PhD thesis, mm -hmm. which was about political parties, including PAN. And it was about factionalism, about interests of different groups within parties. And when I 
took this thesis out today again in preparation for our interview, I found this quote from the early introduction where you say, the major parties are entrenched in informal patronage networks, are elite-dominated and controlled by politicians who tend to detach the public from the political process. So I think in the eyes of many observers of Indonesian politics, that's still probably an accurate assessment still today. Yet you are inside the parties. So if you compare your views about political parties now that you've been in the parties for quite a long time with your views that you had on them when you wrote your PhD, have any of your views about political parties changed or why do you remain in them if you think they are detached from the people? As a PhD of political science who wrote that thesis, I am proud <laughs> that now what I found at that time is still exists. They are all about the same thing. The patronage, the money politics, the pragmatism, the informal patronage networks, it's still the same. But as a party politician, it is sad to say that uh, that is the major problem in Indonesian politics that the political parties is not functioning. I mean, it's all determined by informal patronage rather than, you know, uh, formal political decisions. And uh, money is still the major issue. Almost all parties in Indonesia are really depend on the party chairperson to fund their activities. And... The patronage network is not only at the national level, but also at the local level. Yeah, you said a lot of parties depend on the chairman for money. I think the other main source is money that comes in from candidates for local elections and also to some extent parliamentary um, yes. candidates yes. who pay in order to be nominated. Right. And you have experience with that, of course. So how did you find, uh, once you made the decision to enter the race to become a local politician. How did you find navigating those patronage channels and the need to raise funds in order to get a nomination in the first place? Well, the rule number one for me is to be an independent politician, not to rely on certain uh, strong politicians, like in terms of political funding, in terms of political support. So I think it is now the time for a younger generation of politicians to stand up on our own feet to you know to strengthening our capabilities in terms of intellectual capabilities and in terms also of you know uh, grassroots support so i am lucky that uh, i have a chance to win the local elections to build my own network not to rely on the you know old partner system so for me it's like you know strengthening our independency compared to politicians who rely on their uh, informal bosses mm. and um, second factor is the networking should be benefited to enhance our uh, political leverage so it is the time when we are collaborating not only with political elements, but also with non-political elements like communities, business sectors, academia, and so on and so forth. So it's the time of younger generation of politics to be involved in what I call as pentahelics, the government, the bureaucracy, the mass media, the community, the activists. So, 
So it saved us from the old political style. Mm. And the local level, I think, is almost then a natural choice for politicians like you to start, right? Was it ever on your mind to become a candidate for national parliament? Or once you made the decision that you wanted to enter active politics outside the party structure, was it always clear that you'd start at the local level, that you'd try to become an executive leader rather than a member of parliament? Well, joining political party for me is about dedicating myself to make the betterment of the society. That should be the major paradigm. And uh, now I believe the best part of being a politician is doing something at the local level. So, in my opinion, having two terms as a mayor of Bogor and contribute something to the better men and giving some legacy in Bogor, it's more than enough. So, I don't think that I have some ambitions to lead the party in the future or to nominate myself to run as the member of the national parliament. Two term as the mayor of Bogor, but giving legacy is more than enough for me. Mm, I may come back to that in our next interview in a few years' time. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just stick to that um, sort of part briefly. So what makes local politics more attractive than national politics? Is it the proximity to the community or is it the ability to see results more quickly or is it that the number of stakeholders is a bit more manageable or... Yes, you answer the question yourself. <laughs> it's all of them, all of them. If you read the books by uh, Benjamin Barber, If Mayors Rule the World, it's a books about successful mayors around the globe. And it's really inspired me that the most important leaders in the world today is not the president, is not the prime minister, is not the king, king and queen, but it's a mayor. Because in our hands, we can change the life of the people. So uh, that makes our position is important because also of the direct election, the free media, the social media, and the tendency that we are now collaborating ourselves with any other element in the society. So I believe that the key of the change in, uh, in the nations within the local leaders. Yeah, it's, it's certainly um, in Indonesia we kind of observe that local leaders are becoming very prominent politicians indeed. Mm. Clearly, we, we do see, despite all the cynicism about decentralization and about local elections, we do see that at least in some pockets of Indonesia, there is a seemingly sort of new breed of politicians coming through that are doing things a bit differently. So apart from yourself, names that I usually mention include Ridwan Kamil in Bandung, now governor of West Java, Ganja Pranovo in Central Java, and uh, Nurin Abdullah, the former district head of uh, Banteng, now the elected governor for South Sulawesi. The optimistic view is that this new breed of politicians may make a difference, whereas the cynics say these are the exceptions, and in the bigger picture, they actually won't be able to make a difference. So where do you stand in this? Do you see yourself as part of a bigger group of people who are actually changing patterns of politics in Indonesia? Or are you just focused on Bogor and you try to do the best you can and what happens elsewhere? Is, well. Yes, the name mm. that you have mentioned are really people 
the inspire each others at the moment. I am inspired by Kang Emil to have you know some ideas in the terms of the beautification of the city to strengthening the smart city project uh, in the city and I am inspired also by Ibu Risma the way she you know she boost a positive spirit uh, throughout the city and I also admire Nurdin Abdullah for the way he built Bantang from the unknown small uh, city into you know quite famous uh, city at the national scene so uh, we have a lot of you know discussion time together and we share about our ideas and sometimes we express our uh, you know feelings about the the current and the future indonesian politics it's good that uh, we realize that we are at the same boat to make indonesia better but we also realize that it's still long way to go i mean we never know what will happen in indonesian politics there was a time when i think that's the end of the politics of of my political career uh, there was a time when i think i have to quit uh-huh. and there was a time for some of my friends who believe so uh-huh. so it's it's you know it's never ending journey there Mm. Can I probe you just briefly on that? When was that time when you thought you'd quit? Well, there was a difficult time for me when I was accused of doing something that I didn't do it at all in terms of, you know, a legal case in Bogor. And it's really uh, unacceptable when you are doing nothing illegal, but you're accused and many people believe that you you do that so it happens everywhere in indonesia mm. it is really uh, scary for for most of uh, indonesian politicians today actually yeah what you describe here is generally known as the phenomenon of black campaigning and it's as you say it's, it's very common so you would have sort of expected that to hit you at some point right mm. once you entered politics you knew that would happen. Mm-hmm. So, how did you deal with it when it did happen? What kind of networks did you fall back on to counter it? First, I focused myself to do my job the best that I could. It's all about performance. So, as long as you do your job, you will have uh, a strong bargaining positions. That's my conviction. Second, I'm still building a networking Uh, with NGOs, activists, uh, student activists, mass media, uh, we share a lot of common understanding about what is happening now in Indonesia. So it's like a jaringan pengaman or a social security network. If something happened to you, then you will have uh, so many elements to support you. One episode that I remember where you were harshly criticized was when you appeared at a function of the by now banned organization Isputahria. Mm-hmm. That caused a lot of criticism towards you in social media and people weren't expecting that from you. Some accused you of being naive, some that you actually supporting Isputahria. So this was the first time, or maybe not the first time, but this was one incident where you had to fend off criticism in a determined way. 
This was also interesting because this was about a religious issue. And right. religion and politics in Indonesia is always potentially explosive. So when you look back at that episode now, did you underestimate the potential implications of you appearing at this function or would you do the same thing again today? I really learned a lot from this case. Hmm. What I what happened was I was invited by Hizbutar Indonesia in Bogor to attend the inaugurations of their new headquarters. And I decided to come there. Then at that time, I openly state in front of the audience that uh, since 2006, I openly disagree with the system of Hilafah. Mm. The Caliphate. Yeah. For me, Pancasila, national constitutions, uh, the national unity of Indonesia, Bineka Tunggalika, is final. And uh, I, I express uh, my opinion at that ceremony. But what I emphasized uh, at that time was that I said to the audience that if we are kept ourselves with the differences, with the debate, never-ending debate, we are not going nowhere. So I asked the Hizbut Tahrir Indonesia to join the forces, particularly in Bogor, to solve existing problems like poverty, student fightings, corruptions. So for me, it is something that we really need to pay attention rather than debating uh, something abstract. So I said to the audience that my position is clear. I against the system of Hilafah. I am here to invite the Hizbut Tahrir Indonesia to focus on solving problems, particularly in Bogor. So uh, I imagine that if it was not me who attended the ceremony, if it was Gusdur who is there, there will be no controversy. Mm-hmm. I believe that Gusdur will do the same thing as me at that time. A following day, Pa Luhut, he was the coordinating minister for uh, political affairs at the time, uh, rang me. He said to the phone, uh, Bima, why did you do that? Why did you come? I said to Pak Luhut, Pak Luhut, can I ask something? Is Hizbut Tahrir officially banned in Indonesia? Pak Luhut said, soon. <laughs> so allow me, Pak Luhut, when there is no clear policy towards Hizbut Tahrir, allow me to do something concrete. I state my position, I state my opinion in front of the Hizbut Tahrir, and, you know, I uh, build intensive communication to them. But if sometimes, later on, the government officially banned Hizbut Tahrir, of course, I will follow the policy. Hmm. You said you learned a lot from that case. So one thing that you may have taken out of it is that public perceptions differ from what you may have intended, right? right? Uh, So clearly in the public eye, at least, it was interpreted as some kind of support for his Tahrir. So in view of this issue with public perceptions, 
would you do the same thing again with similarly controversial organizations, for example, the FPE, the um, Islamic Defenders Front? Would you go to them as well, like in the Jakarta election, Anis Baswedan openly did, and he copped a lot of criticism for that. Um, but for political purposes, if it helps, build some more support from these groups? Well, at the last uh, election in Bogor, I uh, was trying very hard to avoid the scenario in which the religious sentiment play important role. So I spent quite a long time, a few months, to decide the form of coalitions in local election in Bogor. It is really my passions for not being trapped into religious sentiment. So as a result, I think it's quite su successful there because I gather support from any elements. I receive a support from churches, from uh, you know important uh, Kiai, yeah, Islamic preachers. Mm. Uh, so we we were not divided by you know by dua satu dua by two one two camp yeah mm -hmm. by Islamic camp or na nationalist uh, camp. No, at the time in Bogor. Mm. So that was my effort to avoid uh, Bogor to be uh, duplicated as what happened in Jakarta during the governor, the gubernatorial election. Yeah. I also noticed that the coalition of parties that supported you did not include Girindra and PKS. No, no. Even though those two parties... Well, I have to, I have to admit that uh, uh, my parties once pushed me to take one uh, influential figures in, uh, you know, in Islamic activists as my running mate. But I totally refused the idea. I don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, affiliated as, you know, the Islamic camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, generally, I think in that last round of regional elections across Indonesia, the fear that religious and ethnic sentiment would dominate again, like in Jakarta, did not really eventuate. Um, there were a few instances here and there, but overall, I think those fears um, did not materialize. Looking ahead to the next year's national election, are you worried that this may play a role again? Or Yes, I am. Yeah, okay. yeah um, I have a sense that uh, religious sentiment will play a significant role in the upcoming presidential elections. Yes, I believe that there are some figures who genuinely uh, fight for, you know, for the sake of Islamic ideology. But I also believe that there are some or there are many people who is actually uh, using religious sentiment for their only political purpose or economic benefit. Mm. So it divides our political sphere in Indonesia and it's, it is really not good. Mm -hmm. So in the run-up to the most recent regional elections, I saw that you were touted as a potential running mate for Ridwan Kamil in the governor election for West Java. I saw that you um, eventually turned down the idea, but I also read that some members of the parties who supported Ridwan Kamil didn't like the idea. And one argument was expressed by a PKB politician who said, Ridwan Kamil and Bima Arya are too similar. They have the same backgrounds, the technocrats, and they've got their formal education overseas. So that sort of implied a as an electoral formula, it doesn't work if you have two similar backgrounds. But also it seemed to imply some kind of skepticism towards this technocratic approach and this foreign education. How, what did you read into that? 
Yes, Ridwan Kamil offered me to be his running mate a few months ago, and um, I refused to accept his offer because I think I still have a lot of homeworks to be uh, completed in Bogor. As simple as that. Hmm. So, being vice governor is not really interesting for me. Hmm. And the second thing is that I don't think it's about skepticism towards the technocrat yeah, from the real politicians. Well, I think it's about the political communication. So that's the importance of having a good relations among us. Me and Ridwan Kamil, Mas Ganjar, uh, Pak Nurdin Abdullah, Mas Azwar Anas. If we are now having a good communication each other, then we can anticipate the future of Indonesian politics. We don't know where the Indonesian politics will take us. Well, look, you said... It's impossible to predict the future, of course. Um, so let's maybe finish by looking back instead of looking forward. Um, I started the interview by asking, where were you in 1998? So if you look back now, what happened between 1998 and today? Where or how do you see Indonesia's political development over those 20 years? Could you have pictured in 1998 that now you'd sit here as the mayor of a sizable city, um, representing local interests, local politics, a new generation of leaders. Did you anticipate that these things would happen? And if you look back, you think that all in all this was a success or this whole democratic experiment has been successful? And where do you see the, the biggest challenges? The way we are handling the Indonesian politics today determine the future of Indonesian politics. I see there are two possible political trajectory for Indonesian. First is a good one when we are heading into a two party which control the nation. It's like United States. Mm. One camp is a more traditional camp. On the other camp is a more progressive and pluralistic camp. And the second a scenario is quite, you know, a scary scenario. When Indonesian politics are divided into several political actors which are affiliated with religious sentiment and ideological sentiment. Of course, we are avoiding the second scenario. But I have to admit that uh, I have a deep concerns on these matters because I know at the grassroots level what is happening at the grassroots level and what is also happen happening at the elite level at the national stage so as a politician as a mayor I have to be very optimist in seeing Indonesian futures so I do hope that uh, we are now at the stage of uh, a very important event when finally we are heading into a more simple Indonesian political system, a two major parties in Indonesian politics. 
Well, I think the first step that would be necessary for that would be a change to the electoral laws, and that hasn't happened yet. I think as long as the laws remain yeah. in place as I they mean, are. I uh, mean, 2014 was actually the embryo of bipolar political system, you know, Prabowo camp and Jokowi camps. And now we can divide all the political elements into two camps, right? One Jokowi camp and one <laughs> Prabowo camp. Mm. Yeah. So hopefully that would be the embryo for, you know, like United States, a simple two-party system. Mm. Yeah, well, that's an interesting way to end it. Um, could open up a whole new conversation about this, <laughs> this polarization and uh, division among those two camps. Um, I think the regional elections this year showed how difficult it is to maintain these two camps, I think. Yeah. Um, as I said, um, that could um, sort of uh, prompt me to ask a whole lot more questions. But, um, yeah, I think we have run out of time. Thank you very much for your time, Bima. Thank you, Derek. It's great to have you on the program. So that was the mayor of Bogor, Dr. Bima Arya, speaking with Dirk Tomsa on the Talking Indonesia podcast. Please join us again on the 16th of August for the next episode of this podcast. You can find the entire archive of the Talking Indonesia podcast at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening and till next time.